Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the broadcast today. We have been talking through some practical theology specifically on marriage, what the Bible says about marriage, why God created marriage, why marriage must be between a man and a woman, and today... We're talking about the topic of the dissolution of a marriage or divorce. <laughs> the scripture talks about this in, in at least two or three places in the New Testament. So let's start there, brothers. Does, is that the question we want to start with today? Does God allow divorce, or did we want to talk about what makes a healthy marriage first? I'm confused. Let's talk about what makes a healthy marriage, and then we'll come back to when this falls apart. Yeah. How, okay. do we, how do we end up in, with where mm-hmm. we, we often mm-hmm. see? Good idea. So then what makes a healthy marriage? I would, I would start by saying that um, when you are in a dating relationship, courting, um, showing interest in somebody of the opposite gender for somebody that you want to spend a lifetime together, um, I would say foundationally you should be entering that relationship with your eyes wide open and with other people involved in the relationship. So that, that oftentimes they say love is blind. Um, but in, a, a, in that courting time period, dating time period, however you want to say it, you need to have your eyes open, noticing things, noticing how they interact with people, noticing how they interact with, if you're a male, how does your, your, the person you're dating interact with her brothers? How does she interact with her dad? Um, how does she interact with people of the opposite um, gender? And the same would be true if, if it's opposite. And I think you want to be involved in a relationship where you're not isolated, but you're doing things with other people so that there are other eyes and other voices that you can hear. And really what I would say is you're developing a friendship more than you're developing a romantic relationship. There's a friendship involved um, that also in, has as one of its components a romantic element to it. And I think what happens is so often too many people confuse romantic notions for true substance of what love is. And what I would say is that you continue to use the 1 Corinthians 13 test in your relationship. Do I see these traits of love in them? Are they patient? Are they kind? Are they long-suffering? Are, are they those that are gentle? Are, are they those that protect um, and keep and just continue to work through 1 Corinthians 13 and say, not in a perfect way because there's not going to be a perfect person that can fulfill 1 Corinthians 13 other than Jesus Christ. But do you see evidence of it? Not just with you, but in how they interact with other people as well. So that would be my first advice. Mm -hmm. I'll let these Mm -hmm. guys jump in at that. Yeah, and and, and very obviously, and and I want to say a hearty amen to all of that, Russ, and and very obviously, you know, for, for believers, uh, for someone who uh, knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you want to choose a mate who is also a Christian. Uh, 
you know, as Paul says, very, very frequently quoted uh, uh, commandment of, of the Apostle Paul, do not be unequally yoked. Uh, and in the Old Testament warns, warns against uh, taking as a, as a wife or a husband somebody who's an idolater. In other words, somebody who's outside of, in, in that context, outside of Israel. In the Christian context, to marry, uh, to marry outside the faith is extremely unwise. Uh, because and forbidden, the, and, 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 and unbiblical, forbidden. yeah, yeah, and and unbiblical, and uh, is is a formula for for unhappiness. So I actually think that the gospel. So this show is called the Gospel for Life, and and I would argue that the explicit gospel is the most foundational thing for a good marriage. Not just that both uh, spouses are Christians. That's a given in what I'm saying. But Jesus gave this great uh, story to, to Simon, uh, one of the Pharisees that he went and had dinner with. Actually, it wasn't a story. It was a real-life event. The woman comes in. She washes Jesus' feet. She anoints um, his head. And what Jesus said to Simon was, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The scripture is very clear that love is what binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's Colossians 3.14. So love binds not only the church together, but it binds married couples together. But what Jesus is saying here in Luke 7 is that your, your um, proportion of love is directly um, equal to how much you think that you're forgiven. So if you, are for, if you think that you're forgiven very little, you're going to love very little. Yeah. And if you know that you've been forgiven very much, then it's going to naturally come about that you love very much. Most of the, marriages, most of the problems that I've seen in marriage come from this idea that either the man or the woman is holding some sort of bitterness or unforgiveness against the other person, and it comes down to a gospel issue. They see that their spouse's sins are greater sins than their own sins, and so they hold them in contempt. Mm-hmm. And if I can just circle back real quickly to talk about what Philip said, Phil said about marrying somebody, you don't marry somebody that where you're going to be unequally yoked. I, I don't think that is just the baseline, are they a Christian or not? I think the more we're in agreement with our future spouse, the easier a marriage relationship is going to be. Mm-hmm. You hear this talk about opposites attract. There is some sense to that. I often have talked to former students and my own kids about opposites attract, but opposites shouldn't marry. In the fact that you can be opposite in temperament or personality, but you should be in agreement on the major issues of your life. Um, so about finances, about even politics, about um, primarily about your religious convictions. So if you have a set of religious convictions, your future spouse should almost entirely agree on those set of religious convictions. So, I mean, I get it. The, The baseline is, I mean, the bottom, very minimal, you should, Christians should marry Christians. But I'm saying if you're on one end of the theological spectrum and somebody's on the other end of the theological spectrum and you decide to get married, I'm guaranteeing you. I'm not suggesting it might happen. I'm guaranteeing you conflict, and huge conflict is coming. Yeah. Because right. you're going to more than likely have children and you're going to have to instruct and teach them. And if you come from opposite ends of the theological perspective, who gets to teach your children? Yeah. 
who gets to have that conversation and who gets right. to decide for you. Right. And you can say all you want, well, we'll just let our kids decide. Just talk to me about how that's going to play out. Yeah. So, so we need to talk on this issue of, of divorce, otherwise we're not going to get to it. Are there valid grounds for divorce? Um, it seems like the divorce rate in the church is almost equivalent to, to the divorce rate in the world. Um, does the Bible allow for divorce? And if so, what are the valid grounds for divorce? Hmm. I think the bottom line is we should start with the fact that divorce is, is negative, that it's um, something that God is displeased with. Um, Malachi would say that, that God hates divorce. Right. Um, so just let that be kind of the undergirding of what we're going to say, that don't hear the rest of the conversation outside of the context of this is not God's ideal, this is not God's good design for marriage, but... Because of sinfulness, yes, God does allow for divorce. Yeah, and that doesn't mean, you know, you can add, it depends on how you ask the question. You can ask the question is, you know, does God approve divorce? Well, the answer is no, but there's only one kind of human being that God can deal with, and that's sinful and broken human beings. And so unfortunately, tragically, uh, divorce happens. And so that's where the, that's where the question lies for the Christian, okay, uh, what, what do we do now, and and what what is God's guidance uh, now? And, and and I would say first and foremost, God's God's desire for any marriage that is struggling, God's God's desire is reconciliation and peace. And when we turn to God, God will work in our hearts for reconciliation and peace. Um, but obviously, there are marriages where because of our human frailty. And the way, the way Jesus put it, because of your hardness of heart, and he was speaking to all of us, uh, all of us to one extent or another have hard hearts. Yeah, Jesus said, Moses allowed divorce because of your hardness of heart. And what he was acknowledging there, uh, the Old Testament does make provision for divorce. Um, Jesus also made uh, provision for divorce. We can talk about that in, in greater detail. But uh, brothers and sisters, let's, let's urge one another on uh, in our marriages and encourage reconciliation and peace. Every marriage is going to go through tough patches. And every marriage is going to have times when you, you're, you're probably going to be ready to throw up your hands and say, I've had it, I can't. Well. <laughs> if that right hasn't there, happened, you haven't been married long enough. You yet. haven't been married long enough. That's right. Yeah. So there, the passage that Jesus, that you were referring to is in Matthew 19. So I won't go over the parts that you were paraphrasing, but he says to the Pharisees when he was asked, is it lawful to divorce one man's wife for any cause? He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And, you know, as a pastor, I've been asked before about, hey, am I... Can, can I divorce my wife or can I divorce my husband? Here are the circumstances. They, you know, cheated on me or this is what it looked like. Um, you know, my first gut reaction is, is can there be reconciliation? Can there be forgiveness? But brothers, um, the scripture seems to me to, to not bind that person's conscience at that point who has had their spouse be unfaithful to them so that God is allowing them to get divorced because so this is how I'd say it, they're not sinning if they get a divorce when their spouse cheats on them do you agree with that disagree with that even though it might not be the most ideal agree disagree 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that statement based on the teaching of Jesus, although I would say still uh, that there, there can be forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, and obviously that's not going to happen in every situation, but that's for believers and for, for the church uh, in the context of Christian marriage, that's, that's going to be our first desire. But you're right, the conscience isn't bound uh, because Jesus said specifically uh, when there is unfaithfulness, when there is adultery, uh, that, that, that is a legitimate ground for divorce. And I think we have to understand that what has happened with sexual unfaithfulness, adultery, is you have broken one of the most sacred covenant bonds. And so it is a sin like other sins, but it's, it is also a sin unlike other sins. Um, the most intimate relationship, the strongest connection between any relationship is the, the sexual union between a, a husband and a wife. And um, Paul will say that you're becoming one. And, and mm-hmm. so what you've done is you've, you've taken such a, a sacred covenantal union and you have broken that to engage in, in a union with somebody else that's not your spouse, where it's now not appropriate to become one with. And so that's why the betrayal is so deep um, and reconciliation is so hard. Um, we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow, but that's also why sometimes it's, it's very difficult to seek um, full restitution to the relationship because the betrayal was so deep. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that tomorrow. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.